You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So read with me if you would in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. In verse 1, the Bible says this, There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zub. There's like four or five generations there. All of that for us is like, I don't know these people. Why are their names in the Bible? They're there so that you know that this is not Prince Charming, you know, happily ever after, make-believe story. These are real people, real places, real times, real issues, real folks like you and me, all right? That's why that's in there. And he was an, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. Remember, everybody did what, which was right in their own lives, or in their own eyes. So he had two wives, shouldn't have. He was apparently fairly wealthy because most of us can't afford two wives. Most of you ladies do not want to have to handle two men, right? One's enough. So, you know, he was dumb, all right? He had two wives. He was just dumb and wealthy. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children but Hannah had no children. There's the crux of the pain. Can you imagine not just childlessness and the pain gnawing in her heart, but the other wife had kids. The other wife, she knew this was her. This wasn't an issue with her husband. This was on her and the pain that she was experiencing. Look how it's unpacked for us. Now this man used to go up year by year from a city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. That means they were a godly family. They were pursuing and seeking God. And on the day when Elkanah sacrifices, probably Passover, the time of year when Jesus and Mary and Joseph kind of made their annual pilgrimage, the time that that the Jews as a nation were really drawing to God and sacrificing a time that's teeing up before Jesus was coming. So they made that kind of annual pilgrimage. And on that day, verse 4, when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Not her two sons and daughters, all of them, all right? She was probably, it was probably like a Pearson Holbert. Like, how many of those kids are running around, you know? Whose do they belong to? So he would give those portions. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. He gave her twice because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. This was not just an infertility issue. This was God doing something invisible and behind the scenes. This was not just that her body was not... All of our bodies are broken because of sin. All right, Every one of us have issues in our bodies. And it comes out in different ways. And... Infertility is one of those ways that it shows up. But all of us have something. But there's more to this story. God was doing something supernaturally here that she didn't know and didn't understand. And as a result, had such pain in her life. And so in verse 6, so she's loved, but she has this rival. In verse 6, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Intentionally. Not a, this is not unintentional pain. This is intentional pain. Two women married to the same man, inevitably this was going to happen, right? Jealousy and rivalry and difficulty. And so her rival would provoke her. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. You know, we don't know what Peninnah said to her, but I can imagine 
Oh, Hannah, would you go take care of things? Because, you know, I've got so much work to do to take care of all of these kids of mine. You've got extra time. Hannah, have you figured out what sin you've done this year that you need to confess that God didn't give you kids like He gave me? It's too bad God doesn't love you as much as He loves me. Oh, poor Hannah, you know, what's going to happen? You've got nobody to love and to take care of. You know, just digging the knife into her life. And just year after year, day after day, week by week, just the chronic pain grinding into her soul. It wasn't enough that she just couldn't have kids, but she had that just right in her face all the time. And look what her husband says. Her husband tried. He did his best. He didn't do a very good job, but he did his best. He said this, he said, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? The pain that she was experiencing in her life. Elkanah tried to help her out. And like, like us as men, we kind of we've talked about this before. It's our nature to want to fix things. And to be honest with you, I'm really intimidated by things that I don't understand, that I don't know how to fix. And emotions and personal and relational stuff is like, how do you fix that? You don't go to a class. You don't can't fix those things. And guys, we come unglued. And so he's doing what we often do as men. He's just like, well, hey, I'm better than a bunch of guys, aren't I? Look at me. Everything's good. Hey, let's go out and have a nice dinner. Like, that's no big deal. I love you. I'm good. It's good enough. And it was not helpful to her whatsoever. Because this is an issue that could not be fixed. First thing I want us to recognize is that the pain in our life is just so personal. Some of you have this pain. You've walked this journey of childlessness and experienced this pain. And there is a cry in the vast majority of women's hearts that wants to have kids and to have a baby. And it is a deep, gnawing pain. And whether or not you, you don't have the arrival of Penina in your ear saying it to you, all those things come, why can't I have kids like so-and-so? And doesn't God love me? And all of those things begin to plow into your heart. And all those questions, and does God not see? And why? This is not what I wanted in life. That's where those, most of the pain comes from is when expectations that we have of life don't get met. They're not happening. You know, there's kind of this unwritten thing that we expect, well, when I, you know, I graduate and if I want to be able to, you know, whether college or career and all of that, well, most people are like, well, I want to get married. And when I get married, I want to have kids. When I have kids, I want to, I want to be able to have a house. I want to be able to, you know, have the happily ever after. And it's a rude awakening when things happen whether it's disease in our bodies, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's things that just don't turn out the way we think. And honestly, most of us as parents, we kind of play in this a little bit because we kind of want all of our life with our kids thinking, hey, you can do this. This can happen. We want to solve all the problems and we work hard over life because we don't want our kids in pain. And all of a sudden they run into real life and there's things that can't be fixed. It's not a can-do. It's not a study harder, work smarter, do anything better. It's nothing solves these things. And it is difficult for, for some of you that you know, want to have kids or walk that journey or fresh into the middle of that. It runs deep into your heart. She is, the Bible says that she wept. This is not a little tear in her eye, a little bit of pain. This is a bawling and weeping and sobbing in her soul. 
that was going on year after year and was just coming to a chronic head in this particular moment of her life. Others of you young adults in the room, you're like, well, forget having kids. I just want to be married. I want to find somebody that will love me and that I can walk with pain in the middle of that. And it comes in all varieties and flavors. Sometimes it's a pain of our teens who are just going to a brand new school or you know graduated elementary and now in middle school and just the, the stress and the anxiety and the worry about what that's all going to be pain. It comes in all flavors, all sizes, but one thing is for sure and for real in our life. We are all going to experience some of those deep things in our heart. And it's personal, it's real, and it's right in our face. And these are these are issues of faith, of how we respond to those kinds of things in our life. And so Hannah was experiencing this. A woman who loved God had deep questions. You know, she's obeying God, submitting to God, doing everything right, and having those deep questions, having all of that in her life. I want you to notice the second thing. What Hannah did with this pain really matters. So all of us are going to have pain. Some of us look back and we look back at our childhood and we kind of go through a self-discovery like, that was more painful than I realized. I kind of am realizing now how some of these things affected me. I kind of didn't know enough. When you're a, a kid, you experience some of this, but you can't, you don't have enough maturity yet, enough life experience, don't, not enough data to kind of step back and kind of perceive and analyze. You're kind of rolling along with it, you know? And then oftentimes as adults, we step back and reflect, and we're like, oh, well, now I kind of understand what that was doing, and I can kind of see why I did this and why I was doing that. It's part of the maturity process. So some of, some of you maybe are still in the middle of that discovery and processing some of that pain, and some of you are in the middle of that pain now. Some of you have come through it, and you've grown, and you're, you are the Hannah. But regardless of where you are, that, the response to this pain is what really matters in our life. We're all going to experience it. The issue is not stopping it. The issue is not removing it. The issue is how you respond to it. And as parents, the issue is how you help your child respond to it. Be careful because we live in a culture that pain is bad, right? We don't want to feel negative feelings, so we do everything we can to remove it. We're kind of addicted to happy, and I like to be happy. I don't like to be sad. I don't like to be frustrated. I don't like to be worried. I don't like to be stressed. But we have such an addiction to happiness that we've missed, I think, in general, that God has all of those other experiences for a purpose and for a reason. I'm not saying off the chain, unbridled, you know, that it's all good. Yeah, I'm great. I love being in depression for five years. It's wonderful. You know, I'm serving God. I'm not talking about that. But we need to be careful that we don't make our highest good, even as parents, like i got to keep my kid from experiencing any pain in their life. Obviously, we don't send them out to run their you know, head first into a wall. We need to prevent some unneeded pain or needless pain. But as parents, your job is to help your kid walk through pain because you're beginning to prepare them for life and much bigger things than even those small things. And it's kind of on you in that process. So we don't know how all Hannah responded. I'm sure she was like us, right? Some days you handle the pain points in your life okay. And other days, not so okay. I can imagine she said a few little things back to Peninnah, kind of trying to protect herself, right? Somebody keeps swinging at you, 
After a while, you're going to start putting some blocks up. It's natural. You know, you're going to do that. I'm sure she lashed out. I'm sure she got angry. I'm sure she was upset with God and had all kinds of things going on in her life. But on this day, she responded the way she should have. And what she did is she got alone with God and prayed. Now read this part with me. This is, this is the second thing I want us to recognize. is Pain is personal. It's deep in our heart. But prayer is powerful. Prayer is drawing us to God is what we need to do with that pain. Look at verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, not they didn't get drunk, they just had dinner, okay? In Shiloh, Hannah rose. She's just, she's been hearing all this all of her life. It's come to her head. And now the last thing we hear is her husband really doesn't get it either. Okay? Ladies, your husbands are awesome and they're great. Sometimes they just don't understand. We're wired differently. But she's like, you know what? I got to turn to God on this. And they, they rose. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. The temple is where you go to meet with God. The temple is where you go to get questions answered. The temple is where God is, where you go to get help and where you turn to. So she's turning to God. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. In her weeping and grief, it drew her to God. It didn't pull her away from God. It drew her to God. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, which is a reminder that God, you are in charge of all the armies. That's what the host means. You are in charge of everything. You are the great God. You are the Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, not just the lack of child, but this rival that's digging her heels into me and just plowing deep into my back. If you'll look at that, in other words, look at it with mercy and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Don't you feel that way when the pain hits chronically year after year? You're like, does God not see? Where is God? Is He paying attention? And she's like, God, if you will look. I make a promise. I make a vow to you. A razor won't touch His head. Like, What kind of vow is that, Sean? What she's saying is, is, God, I will dedicate Him to be specially dedicated to you for the rest of His life. It's interesting, by the way. It's one of the few instances where a mama commits a son's life to the Lord. Not salvationly, but calling, not just His own. He said, I will loan Him to you. He will belong to you if you answer. Let me hit the pause button here for a moment. Folks, this is not a message this morning that if you pray the right kind of prayers and are desperate enough that God will give you what you want. That is not what this story is teaching. The issue is not, well, if you can make enough of a bargain and a deal with God, God will be favorable to you. If you can make it, well, I'll raise that one. I'll give you two sons, God, if you just give me one, you know. And this is not a bargaining, bartering with God. God is, cannot be manipulated. You don't offer and counter offer to the God of heaven. There's something going on behind the scenes here that God needed a man that we're going to talk about. He needed someone to lead his people. And Eli and his sons were a mess. We're going to get into that to next week. And God knew Hannah, and He knew where this was going. He had kind of prepared her that He needed somebody from the outside to come in, and He needed that special one dedicated to God. So He committed this pain point in her heart so that she'd be willing to let go of her son in a way and dedicate him to God the way that most moms wouldn't. 
And so she's praying in tune with God, praying in tune with what God is doing in her life more than she knows. And she said, God, I will dedicate him to you special if you will give me a son, if you will answer my prayer. And as she continued in verse 12, praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Eli's the priest. He's the pastor in the church, if you will, at that time. And Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. And her voice was not heard. It was common in prayers for among Jews, kind of opposite does. We pray, right? We get down and we kind of crouch and we bow our heads and, and we pray silently, privately. It was common for them to pray standing up, looking to heaven, verbalizing their prayers. And Eli's looking at her like, lady, you're just like, I don't hear anything. What are you doing? And, and he said to her, therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. He thought she was drunk, thought she was high or something, you know, that like, what are you doing? And he said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? He chastises her. Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I've been pouring it out before God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. Not so sure that's a promise that she's going to get an answer to her prayer. It's more of a wish, like Eli's saying, I pray that God answers your prayer, whatever it is. You've been heard. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose early in the morning, this is back to the family, and they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Not that he'd ever forgotten, it just meant that the Lord was looking and he was responding to her prayer. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. Hannah did something profound in her life that God was wanting to work in her heart as well as wanting to provide for his nation of Israel for the next, the last judge really before King David and all of that. And rather than Hannah being turning to alcohol as, as Eli thought she was to kind of numb the pain, you know, New York State would love for all of us to turn when we're in pain to cannabis, you know. Let's just call it what it is, weed. They want us to, you know, well, I'm just so worked up, I just, I need to get a little relief, so I'm going to, you know, smoke a little weed or whatever and kind of get some relief. I'm not talking about medical stuff or whatever, I'm just talking about, hey, I want to relax. New York would love for you to do that if you read the news and everything that's happening. And Hannah's like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to turn toward God. See, so much in our world is your and my and the people's reaction to pain. To be honest with you, that's really at the heart of most of the transgender discussion what's happening. We've known for decades that middle school is hard on kids, right? Bodies are changing hormones and throw into it, layer into it the access of social media and online and add into it the perfect life, whether it's the Kardashian body or whether it's the muscle-bound guy and all the stereotypes. And middle schoolers are just like, I'm just trying to navigate what's going on in my world. Now, Christian, be careful because so many churches are like, well, I'm against it, I'm going to take a stand in all of it. 
And instead, we need to actually realize these kids are in pain. They're struggling with all of the confusion in their life and the things being pushed to them in the world, and they're trying to figure out what it means. You know, they're kind of going to the next level. It's kind of what a discovery is of what, you know, they've been just kind of going through life not thinking about it. And they're suffering in the world around them, and they're being encouraged like, oh, well, the real problem is this. You've just got the wrong gender assigned to you. It's different from your sex. It's a misdiagnosis in medical terms. They're in pain. Rather than saying, you know what, let's trust God to help you walk through this difficult moment. They're just taking the easy path. Well, you've just got a different gender. You need to dress differently. And maybe we do need a little, you know, let's experiment on your body a little bit. And we could go off that whole other world. What I'm trying to want us to this morning is to say is there's so much in a reaction in our world that's happening to pain. We will do anything to solve pain. By the way, that's why it's a whole lot easier. If you're trying to make money in the medical world, make money selling painkillers, not vitamins. Because we will do anything. We will move heaven and earth to overcome pain. More so than being healthy, right? And parents unwittingly go in the middle of all of that. So... Hannah poured her heart into God rather than taking matters into her own hand without trying to go figure out what the, the thing is, without doing what Abraham and Sarah did when, when God said, you're going to have a kid, and finally they're like, well, God, you're never doing it, so we're going to let my husband sleep with another woman so we can have a kid. I'm like, that's always a smart thing to do, you know. You and I have never done dumb things trying to do God's job for him. And it's always a mess. And instead, on this day, Hannah did right. And she trusted God. And she poured her heart out to the God of heaven. And rather than going against God, going away from God, rather than blaming God, rather than blaming everybody and lashing out you know, negatively or wallowing her own wherever she was, she said, God, help me. And there was profoundness in this prayer because it was a prayer of faith. It was a prayer that said, God, you see me. God, I know you love me. God, I know that you hear prayers. God, I know that you are powerful. There's, there was power in this prayer. God, I'm trusting you, not just for my salvation and my sin. I'm trusting you for the welfare of my life today. Sometimes that's hard for us as Christians. We know that we're supposed to trust God for forgiveness of sin and go to heaven and all of that. But sometimes our challenge is, can, I just tr can we trust God for just our practical what's in front of us today to help me with my work, to help me with my family, to help me, God, my kid is now an adult and living and doing what they should and it's breaking my heart. Trust Him for all those practical, real things. And she trusted God in the middle of that. And it was such a profound prayer, powerful prayer in her life. And God answered that prayer. But before God answered that prayer, I want you to notice that this prayer was powerful because she was no longer sad. She was okay. She was okay before she got the answer to her prayer. You see, God did a profound work in her heart that in the middle of all of that angst, she trusted God, and God helped her to find a peace in being okay with not being okay. A number of years ago, I experienced that kind of emotional prayer God moment in my life. I had Susan and I and our seven kids were living in Potsdam, uh, about four hours north of here. 
and I was happy in the ministry and just it was just it was a good time of life you know minus being busy when you have seven kids from I don't remember 10 or 12 down to six months old you know that's you're busy when that's going on in life and the group of churches that we work with here Hudson Baptist Association they picked up the phone and they said Sean we believe God wants you to come down and lead us and be part of what's going on in the capital region beyond and God, series of events, I won't take you through all the details, but at first I was like, you're crazy. Why would I want to do that? And God made it just so clear with Scripture that this is what I was supposed to do. And so the church, we were living in a parsonage, and so I began, you know, took the position, couldn't find a house to live in. It was in 2004, 19 years ago, about this time of year. If you, you probably don't remember that time frame, but it was when houses were going for way more than they were worth. It was a bubble People were listing houses. They were selling, you know, in fact, they were even selling before they were fully on the market. Everybody was getting more than what they listed their house for. Everything was just so inflated. And I had every strike against me. I had a lot of kids, which meant I couldn't move into a little two-bedroom, you know, apartment or a three-bedroom house. I needed a bigger place. We were living in a parsonage and ministry and life and seminary. I didn't have savings. And, like, how do you move and find a home you're going to live in? And after our and our poor realtor, you know, stressed out, she was a godly Christian woman, knew she was trying to help a pastor and all of that. And I remember after living, coming down here, I would get up like at 4 o'clock on a Sunday morning to come down and be in the churches and help out. And I'd be gone till like Thursday. And after about three or four months of that, to be honest with you, eating dinner alone most nights, you know, opening my can or whatever and, you know, eating and looking for houses, it just, it began hitting me. And I began feeling like the biggest jerk because... My wife had a six-month-at-home, homeschooling four kids or five, seven kids all week long. I'm like, God, I know you moved us here. I can't get my family in alignment with what you told us. And it hit that critical moment when I'm sitting there, you know, eating dinner in a little apartment that I stayed in during the week, and my uh, realtor had emailed me another house that I had already seen so many times before, and it was just, it was terrible. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those houses, you're like, you go through the bathroom to get to this bedroom, and you know, just, and I just, I, I just, it hit me, much like Hannah. I bawled and realized, God, this is an impossible act. I didn't realize how hard saying yes to you on one hand meant this was going to be so difficult. I felt the pain of a husband whose family was split, couldn't get them together, and just bawled and said, God, I don't know what to do. We, I guess I need a miracle. There's no. I was looking in 12 counties. I was looking for anything that could fit us that we could afford, and everything I was finding wasn't fit for my dog, let alone you know a wife and kids. I didn't need anything fancy. I just, you know, good roof and that kind of thing. And as I drove home, literally that next day, there was just such a peace in my heart. I didn't know what God was going to do, but everything was okay. There are moments in your life that God will have your back to the wall because He's trying to take you to a place that you've not been yet in your faith. And what He's trying to do is to show up in your life in a personal and a profound way. I won't bury you the rest of the story, but just to say the next day, the next day changed everything. And God gave us, put us in place with a home, and a man helped us where we could afford it, and it's the home we live in today that God answers prayer, but we have to be okay with whatever that result is. She wasn't okay after she heard, got the answer to prayer. She was okay before. So for some of you, you have a deep pain in your life, 
And God's not trying to say, well, I'm going to make you suffer so that you learn some things, and then I'm going to give you the answer. Sometimes God wants you to have faith to trust Him that it's okay if you never get what you want. All of us experience things in our life that we don't get that we'd like. It's actually good for us. It's kind of when you were growing up, if your parents were good, they didn't give you everything you wanted because everything you wanted wasn't good for you. And God's a far better parent than we are. And we have to go through some of those things to say, God, I'm okay if you don't give me this. I still would like it, but Lord, I trust you not just to give me what I want, that you have power to give me that, but I trust you that I'm okay, that my life is okay if it's a little different or if it has this going on or I'm, I'm going to be okay in the middle of this pain. I'm okay. That prayer was an expression of her faith and it helped her to work through that pain. And because she did, she got to experience the next thing in her life, which was praise. Pain is personal. Prayer is powerful. Praise is profound. I want you to catch that. We, want, we, we experience pain, and we want to feel good. We want to go from pain to praise. But what's in the middle is a faith and prayer and trusting the holy God of heaven. And you can't just jump from pain to praise without the prayer and faith in the middle. Look at what her praise is, and I've got to go quickly. I think God's talking to many of us this morning. He did to me in this passage, but... Listen, let's read chapter 2, verse 1. So Hannah has the baby. Years have passed by. She gave him to the Lord. When he's young, after he weaned, she said, you go live in the temple. I, don't, I won't have you next to my house. I won't see you very often. But she committed and, and kept her word and gave him to the Lord. And years later, this is her praise. Didn't happen overnight, but years later. Hannah prayed and said this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. These are things that she didn't just read about in a book. It's not a story that she's like, well, that's cool that that happened to you, but that's not my experience. Because of the pain and because of her experience, she's like, I've seen God do this in my life. God became more personal, more profound in her life. She says, there's none holy like the Lord, for there's none besides you. Nobody can do this. God put her into a spot where it wasn't just that she woke up one day, well, I didn't have kids for a couple of years. I guess it just all worked out, so lucky me. Instead, put her in a spot where she knew that for, to see that change had to be the God of heaven working. See, sometimes God puts us in that spot to make God go from just this kind of invisible person, this being God, to kind of break through that veil into our life to help us to realize life's not just working out. Things aren't just happening. And it just didn't, it's not because your boss was nice or because your realtor did something good for you or things just happened to work out. No, this is the God of heaven who's working. I mean, God is always working, even in the mundane things, and we forget that. And so sometimes God reminds us, says, I'm going to have to put you in a spot where I got to show up. And so she says, God, you are holy. God, you are profound. God, you are big. And we could take time to read the rest of this, and I won't, but it's, un it's unbelievable that she just says, God, you're the one that brings alive and you bring to death. In fact, later on, she says, you've made the barren woman, in other words, me, have seven. She didn't get just one kid. She probably got seven. The number seven in the Bible is the number of completion, which it's significant. 
either it's metaphorical that she had three kids or eight kids, but she said, you know what? I had enough. I had the number God wanted me. But what I think happened is she really had seven. And what the Bible's telling us is that even though she had all of that pain, she experienced God's perfect work in her life in that area. God took her pain and turned it into praise. And what was in the middle was the prayer and the faith that she trusted God with her well-being in the deepest part of her soul. And there's no flipping that. Folks, we too often, even as Christians, want to go from pain to rejoicing. Pain to rejoicing. It's not a matter of you and me working harder and solving it and figuring it out. It's a matter of trusting the God of heaven over time, here's where it's difficult because we are not patient, trusting Him to make us okay, even if the situation doesn't change, trusting Him to work the situation differently than we ever expected. But in the end, He's changing us, not just changing the situation. He's strengthening and developing our faith. You see, our faith, have you ever seen... Our faith has to be forged. It has to be hammered out. Have you ever watched somebody in a forge in metal, you know, making a knife or taking something, and they heat that metal up, and they pull it out and beat on it, and they heat it more, and they shape it and mold it? God puts our, our faith is forged in the crucible of pain. And when you and I are afraid of pain and we're afraid of suffering, we basically are saying, God, I don't want you to forge my faith. I want to be a weaker metal. I don't want to be turned into something that can be used of you. See, all of us, whether you grew up in a church or not, whether you knew Jesus from a young child or not, whether you were the worst pagan person away from God and now you know become a believer, all of our lives were separated away from God and messed up, and we've got bad and wrong thinking and all kinds of stuff in there, and God is sorting that stuff out. And we need to get to that point in our life where we're trusting Him that He's in charge and trusting that what He says is that He will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly before Him. God promises. Now not, well, well Sean, if God promises to not withhold one good thing, why, why can't I have a baby? Why can't I have that? That's good. That's, that's not bad. I'm wanting something that's good. It's good for them. They got it. Why not me? I don't understand the answer to this question. But what's good for them and not always exactly good for you. And we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and we need to turn to the God of heaven and to trust Him deeply. And it will be like you and me running a marathon. It will take every ounce that we've got to finish well and to, not, and to trust God and not to fall into bitterness or to anger or go do something dumb, or blow things up in a relationship, or go pursue something, just make a quick fix, and instead let the God of heaven plow into our life to grow us in our faith. Pain's personal, prayer's powerful, and the praise is profound because God reveals Himself to you even more real than He ever was. And the fourth thing, and this is the last little thing, is our pain has a purpose. Pain's a little easier to go through if you know it has a purpose, right? I'm willing to go to the doctor and suffer a little bit of pain if I know there's a reason why and an outcome for it. I had a cyst removed on my cheek this past summer. 
And uh, when the doctor hit me with a lidocaine in it, I don't know why shots like that kind of numbing stuff always hurt. And the doctor said, yeah, it's an acid. I'm like, oh, great. You're just pumping acid into my body. That's lovely, wonderful. And that hurts. And it, I got to tell you, you're laying there, and it's personal. When they're coming like here, you know, this is in your space, in your face. It's not like you're like, okay, just take my arm, do whatever you want. It's like you're getting a little close to home, doc. They cover your face, you know, with a sheet. And, but I was willing to go through that pain because I know that was a whole lot less than him just taking a scalpel and cutting right out of my cheek, right? I was willing to lay there and take it. So you and I need to recognize that God sees all of the pain in our life. Now, some pain we cause. But even that, God uses all of that, and He has a purpose. And His purpose is He's trying to grow us and shape us and mold us into our life. And Hannah became an even stronger woman of faith because of what she went through. And that's what God's trying to do in your pain as well. The pain in your past, the pain in your present, and the pain that you're going to feel in the future. He's trying to shape you and to get you in a walk that's closer with Him, that He's more closely in your life. You know, every day Hannah woke up, not just, I got kids, I'm living large, ooh, I got what I wanted. She lived every day after that saying, the God of heaven heard me. The God of this universe cared about me. And that went beyond having kids to every area of her life that created such a boldness and awareness and a walk with God in faith. There's a purpose in the pain of what you're going through. Don't take the quick way out like the culture around us is doing and everything in our life is trying to do. I'm not talking about being a masochist and hitting your head against the wall. I'm not talking about needless pain. Parents don't solve every little pain thing in your kid's life. They need to learn progressively to grow, right? You don't, they don't need to learn calculus. They don't need to learn no math and get thrown into calculus class. They need to learn a little bit of pain along the way. It's helpful. It's healthy. And then the bigger purpose is God was doing something even bigger than just Hannah's life. God was doing something in Samuel's life. That last verse says this, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, this is Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Hannah had raised him, weaned him off, true to her promise, says, Eli, God answered my prayer. He's yours. Wow, that would have been hard to do, Mom. Painful. But she said, God, I made a promise to you. Eli and his sons were a disaster. We're going to see that next week. And God needed a ringer. He needed somebody that was going to be grown into that world that understood the ways of God to lead his people. So it wasn't just that God was trying to grow Hannah's faith. God was trying to lead the nation of Israel and prepare them ultimately for King David that was coming downstream. We're going to see this story unfold as we walk through Samuel. So know this. Your pain is not just about you. God's trying to grow your faith. But God's also trying to take your pain and not just turn it into praise because you can meet God in heaven, but He's using it in a bigger world that we don't always see. I don't know that Hannah understood all of that. She was in the middle of it. Just like you and I are in the middle of our life right now, just like I said earlier, you know, when you're in the middle of a kid, you kind of don't see everything. You get a little bit of it and kind of you get reflection. You're that way with your life now. Five years from now, ten years from now, you'll get perspective. 
get to heaven, you're going to get even more perspective. God is using our lives and ways around us. And there's a purpose to that. And the issue is, do we trust Him for our soul, for our family, our lives, and to be using us in the world around us? So, I've got to wrap this up. What is God saying to you in this? Where are you in this story? You're going to hear that question a lot this week, these months for our life groups. Where are you in this story? Where is God speaking to you? Maybe you need to go back and reflect on pain that you've had, that you are where Hannah is and praising God, and God's just wanting to remind you of that. Maybe there's some pain in your past that hasn't made sense, and I don't know that well, all of it will make sense, but maybe God's trying to say, I see you in that. I just want you to trust me that I saw you in then, and I love you, and I'm protecting you, and I'm walking with you. Maybe you know somebody is in pain. By the way, as our world spirals more and more out of control, whether you're a teacher in school, whether you're a coworker, the world is suffering and pain. And at the source of the issue is, is we're all doing crazy, dumb things away from God. And God has you there to be a testimony, to be a light through your life, through the words you get to say. And maybe God wants to use you to help somebody else walk that journey. But what's God saying to you this morning, folks? Are you trusting Him for your well-being and not just your salvation? Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank You for the truths of this story. Lord, I can't fathom the personal pain that, that Hannah walked through. But Lord, I have a sense of what You did in her heart as You've unfolded this for us. And Lord, I know that I've looked, each of us this morning, as I've looked into eyes and I know souls and my own soul and my own family, that Lord, every one of us walked through some deep things and questions and pains in our life. Lord, would you help us as individuals, as families, and as a church family to step forward in faith, trusting you with hard things, Sometimes that means going under a needle or going under the knife for our good. Lord, help us. And help us to turn around and help others who are asking difficult questions. Help us to not be on the defense like so many churches are today, but help us to see the bigger issue and to hold forth the encouraging words of life that you give us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at RiverAlbany.com.